Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Wizards After Dark. If you missed my last one, go back and check it out. I have Bradley Beal on the pod. Uh, he was great, super honest. We had a great conversation about just kind of leadership, his first year at the top of the Wizards locker room and what that was like for him and what he expected out of that and what was different from the expectations going in. He was really candid. He was really honest. I ended up doing a big two-part piece out of that interview and a, and, a, and a bunch of other interviews I did about Brad's experience. You can go on. You can check that out on The Athletic. Today, I have, if this is possible, I have someone who's who's an even bigger deal than Bradley Beal, but but only in his own mind. I have uh, I have John Hollinger. I was I was all set up to disagree with you until you added that qualifier at the end. <laughs> the 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 man most famous in Wizards world for completely being single handedly the one to mess up the Brooks trade. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> It was, it was, it was, it was all me. The, the, the truth finally comes out. That's. Did you think that you were going to come on this podcast and I wasn't going to mention that right off the bat? You know, it it seemed almost hope hopelessly optimistic for for me to to have any thought of that. Uh, so the reason I'm having John on today is because we just posted a piece. We're recording this a little bit before, but we we just posted a piece. Went out. Two parts. Part one went up Monday. Part two went up Tuesday. Basically a conversation between me and John, really long, really in-depth, talking about not just the Wizards' young guys, but the Wizards' future, what we think of them, mostly what John thinks of those guys. And John obviously was VP VP of Basketball Ops with the Grizzlies for what, seven years, right? Seven years, yeah. Seven years, man. We're we're old. Because I remember when you took that job, and it doesn't feel like seven years ago, or more than seven years ago. It went by fast, man. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, but anyway, whenever you have the opportunity to uh, you know talk with someone who's actually lived both the writer and the executive life at a at a high up level for both of them, you have the opportunity to talk about young guys and project how an organization might evaluate them and that kind of stuff. Um, that's the way you do it. And I think it was a it was a fun read. It was an interesting read. Uh, so I advise people go check that out over at the Athletic. And uh, we figured we'd talk about some of that stuff here today and give you a taste of what we talked about. I don't want to completely step on the toes of everything that we wrote about because that would give nobody an incentive to actually go read. Um, I was actually going to say things on this that were the complete opposite of what I wrote, actually. (laughs) Confuse the hell out of everybody. That's that's basically the concept of Radio Ethan. That's what I should do with the podcast. <laughs> I should like have two. I could have my podcast persona, and my writing persona, and just go Radio completely Fred. against everything. Yeah, yeah. A player will get pissed at me. I heard what you said about me. No, no, that was just the podcast version of me. Look what I wrote. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, what do you think? Uh, on the whole, what do you think of the Wizards' young guys? pretty decent group uh i I don't see a star in the bunch but like they you know there's some promise there they i I thought they had a good year uh on that front let's let's put it that way i think most of the most of the answers are more positive than your median estimate would have been uh six or seven months ago as to where these guys are so i think in that it was largely a positive year um for the young guys. Now, obviously, um, 
it depends a little bit whether you put Davis Bertans in that group. I mean, he's 27, but this is the first time he'd really had this big a role. And obviously he went freaking bananas this year. Um, but even, you know, they got Mo Wagner looked bad in L.A. last year. He was like halfway decent for, you know, for the Wizards. Isak Bonga didn't really play much and got to play a pretty significant role and didn't embarrass himself. Uh, you know, I thought Troy Brown made steps forward. Like it was a pretty solid year for the for the Wizards young guys. Hachimura, um, you know, wasn't awesome or anything, but a lot of the guys drafted in the lottery were were tremendously bad. And he was, you know, he was at least playable. So I think if I, I had to summarize the story that we wrote into your feelings with one sentence, if I had to summarize your feelings with one sentence, I don't know why I phrased that so weird. If I had to summarize your feelings with one sentence of of the general 4,500 words that you wrote, it would be, you like a lot of the Wizards young guys, but you don't love any one of them in particular. So I'm going to ask you a hypothetical, which I did not ask you during the story. Okay. So I can, so you can... You can soothe the Wizards fanatics who listen to this podcast. Basically, your general feel on a lot of the guys was, yeah, this guy I think is going to be a, a, a really solid bench player. And that was that for a lot of people, right? Like that was kind of yeah. Troy Brown could be a really good reserve or or Rui or Thomas Bryant or even yeah. like the guys that like the true edge of the roster, you know, oh, yeah, Bonga could be that or Garrison Matthews could be that or elevations from their role now and natural progression and good players that can help winning teams, but just not like third best player on a team, the fifth or sixth or seventh best player on a good team, Yeah, which is fine. There are roles for that. If I told you I could see into the future and 10 years from now, one of those players who you think are like going to be good reserves, one of those players actually busted through and became much better than that. And I told you one of those guys did it. Which player would you think it was? Probably Troy Brown. Him over Rui. He, yeah, yeah. Because if he, I mean, if he shoots better, like he's he's still really young. He reads the game well. He can defend. He's got good size. Like he's not a super athlete, but there are guys with pretty, you know, when guys have pretty high level feel like that, they, you know, some of some of them are really able to turn the corner and overcome the the kind of middling athleticism. So I would. I would I would say Troy Brown uh, more so than Rui. Uh, Rui Rui I think um, Rui is a guy who could end up with some pretty high points per game averages. I'm not I'm just, I'm just not sure it's ever going to translate into like impact. Yeah, my thing with Rui, and I've written this a number of times. Most recently, I I did a thing at the end of the year where I did like ten wizard storylines. I'd love to see the end of. And my Rui thing that I, I keep saying, everyone wonders, is he going to shoot the three or is he going to become so efficient on the inside that it can kind of make up for the fact that he just doesn't shoot threes? And my big wonder is, is he going to become a more intuitive passer? Because until he is like not necessarily a creator who's dishing out four assists a game, just a, a guy who is going to make the proper swing to the corner, the guy who is going to find that this cutter is wide open under the hoop, those natural passes within the offense, until he's that, and he's a guy who needs the ball. Like, you can't have a guy be a guy who needs the ball to be effective, but can't make those passes within the offense. Because that's what you talk about when you talk about 
kind of yeah. effective and having it impact winning, right? Not just getting your 18 points a night or whatever he ends up topping out at, 20 points a night, whatever he ends up being. If you're the guy who gets 19 points a night, but you're not finding those intuitive passes within the offense, well, then you're in a situation where it's like there are a lot of guys in the league who you look at them and they are best utilized if you give them the ball, but the offense is best utilized when you don't give them the ball. And when those two (laughs) things contrast, right, when those two things contrast, you're like, that's not a player that contributes to winning. And there are a lot of players that we could point out and have that. Now, Rui's a rookie, so like... That's okay. He's a, he's a rookie. It's fine. But if he can if he never improves on that, then you're like, okay, maybe he leads a bench unit and he's just a really good scoring forward off the bench. But to me, that's the thing that I feel like is his most important current flaw that he needs to improve on because if he doesn't, then you're talking about handicapping how much he can impact not his own scoring but team scoring, you know? Yeah, exactly. You I mean, like you guys are all familiar on this podcast, I presume with uh, the Jordan Crawford experience and, and, you know, it wouldn't be quite like that, but where, where a guy can take a lot of shots and, and score points, but isn't really helping you at all. And he, he needs to not go down that pathway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what ends up happening with him. He's, he's really hard to project because I mean, he just, there's not that much, he hasn't been playing against high level basketball for that long compared to the rest of these guys, you know, and it just makes yeah. it a little tougher to project. And some people see that as a negative. The wizards, I'll tell you undoubtedly see that as a vast positive. It's one of the things that they've constantly cited as a reason they liked him before the yeah. draft. They kind of saw him as like, he doesn't have these bad habits. We can, we can create his habits for him. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was a topic uh, certainly that we talked a lot about when we were scouting the college guys when I was with the Grizzlies last year was where, you know, how much do we ding him for his kind of lack of feel for the game when his high level experience is much more minimal than he, he, for those, for anyone who doesn't know Hachimura's story, he was playing in high school in Japan and just kicking the shit out of random dudes who were a foot shorter than him and then comes over to Gonzaga, hardly plays his first year, becomes a a pretty good player his second year, becomes an awesome college player his third year, and then gets drafted by the Wizards. But through that all, you saw the progression in other areas, but he he still processed the game offensively and defensively kind of a step slow and was really – mainly just you know one dribble pull up score and and that was the thing he did and and he's he's very good at that clearly but what can he pile on top of that to add value you know who i think is fascinating and maybe i'm just uh it's my wizard stockholm syndrome Mm -hmm. uh i think mo wagner is fascinating i well he was so good the first 22 games what was i saying i mean Hugely entertaining player, without a doubt, right? Oh yeah, he 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 might be the most fun player to watch on the Wizards because everything is just a wild experience. You know, you, you never know. Yeah. He's anyone who wins in the poll most likely to get punched in the face during a game is often the most fun player on a team, and he is the most yeah. likely to get punched in the face by an opponent during any given game. Because he's just a total pest and he's annoying and 
You can never knock how much he cares. You can, you can, that dude plays yeah. super, super hard. He plays really hard, and he's got flaws to his game, but he, they are never because he's not trying. He plays really hard. He sacrifices his body. Um, and the first two months of the season, he was one of the most efficient players in the NBA. I mean, he was like 22-11 and 11 per 36 on literally 70% true shooting. And was just a, a wild effective field goal percentage. It was sixty something percent. I mean, yeah. he was he was. I don't think he's going to be a forty two percent three point shooter or whatever he was like at the start of the year. I think that was a a hot shooting streak. After he came back from the injury, though, yeah, he was on a minutes limit, and the Wizards did that thing where they played three centers, which was super weird, and, and they kind of got away from that. I think that messed with his rhythm. But there were certain things where, like, Scott Brooks was encouraging him to take fewer threes and be more of a role man. I think that messed with his offensive rhythm. There were times where he could, he was going for a dribble handoff and he had a wide open three. And I think at the beginning of part of the year, he would have just put that up because no one was on him. But he was just thinking so much, I'm supposed to go into the dribble handoff here. I thought he was thinking too much, playing not as freely. The numbers went down. The efficiency was still very good, but it wasn't like absolutely excellent. The usage went way down. He just kind of stopped shooting the basketball. It was crazy. He had like a six game stretch where he took like seven shots or something. It was, it was an unbelievable thing to watch. Uh, wow. But uh, which Mo Wagner you think is hey, I what I want to know is which Mo Wagner is the real Mo Wagner. Is it, is it first half Mo Wagner or is it second half Mo Wagner, which looked more like Lakers Mo Wagner. Where do you start right, on this? Right. Um, I'm probably closer to second half, although I, I like I will say like he needs to he needs to be a guy who's involved in the offense and taking a lot of a lot of threes because I think he's shown that if he has the threat of the three, like I don't think he's an amazing shooter, but he's like just good enough that somebody will close out on him. And he's actually pretty good if he can show and go and put it on the floor too. He's he's actually okay at that. But like for for him to be a role man, I just don't like he doesn't have a ton of upper upper body straight. He's actually he's a little short for a five. Like he's only like six ten, I think. Um, he's not going to go explode over people and dunk on them. Like I I, I just think that's the wrong usage of his skill set. I think he's a like a pick and pop stretch big all the way. But offensively, he can be pretty effective in that role. Now defensively, you run into issues because he's not a rim protector. He's just okay laterally. He's a pain in the ass. He's going to you know flop and take a zillion charges and try to make up for it that way. Uh, but I think he's always going to be at a disadvantage at that end. I think taking charges is as much as I as I enjoy watching it in the moment, the whole punch in the face thing. It's it's such an overrated skill set, man. Like people get the basketball, the you know, the gritty college basketball crowd gets so excited about it. And it's just like Mo Wagner averaged like nine hundred fouls a game this year. I think that was the exact number. I think if you check basketball reference, that's what it's at. Nine hundred a game. And Part of it was because he was just trying to slide under guys all the time. And part yeah. of the reason the Wizards offense was so bad was because their team foul rate was terrible. And he was yeah. a, or sorry, defense was so bad. Their their team foul rate was terrible. And he was a, a a massive contributor to that. So I get what he's trying to do. He's he's trying to do something, you know, and he he's self-aware. He knows, okay, I'm not a rim protector. How can I do something around the rim to help? And he's trying to do something. And the intentions there are great, but as much as it looks cool when it happens, like the three fouls that you trade off for the one charge, is that worth it? I don't know. I don't think that's worth it. 
Yeah, it, um, it was actually 901.7 fouls <laughs> per, uh, per hundred. I'm looking at it right now on basketball reference. We can't all be Ersan Ilyasova. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, if he if he gets better at it, maybe, you know, maybe he can maybe he can tilt that ratio more in his favor and then then maybe maybe you have something. Have you have you seen we're getting nerdy. Have you seen Ersan Ilyasova's uh charges taken per 100 possessions played uh from 2 years ago? Have you looked at this? Ever? Uh, from two years ago, I don't know if I would have looked at it, but I'm guessing it was around 99 per 100. <laughs> so it was, he averaged like more than two charges taken per 100 possessions, which the second most over the last, you know, however many years was, I think, Mo Wagner this year, who was like yeah. 1.3. And once you get down to like who was second and third and fourth in the league, it's like less than one. And Ersan Ilyasova was basically twice what the rest of the top five is. It's just crazy. And that, that it's the most, he took like 60 something charges yeah. that year. It's just one of the yeah. most insane. It's the most insane charge taking season in recorded like uh, second spectrum history. It's, it is insane. And it is, it is so, it's just great. It's great that Ersan Ilyasova has dug into it so much. Yeah. Uh, Mo Wagner, uh, 8.8 personal fouls per hundred. Second highest uh, foul rate in the league among players with at least 500 minutes. Tony Bradley of Utah just nosed ahead of him at 8.9. Wow. That's that's not surprising at all. Yeah. So that's uh, that is a that is a high foul rate. <laughs> I mean, it's Let's unbelievably it high. It's unbelievably high, and I, it look it's something. He's very conscious of it. He is. I know he is. He, the Wizards have a uh, a referee consultant, Don Vaden, who was yep. VP of officiating for a long time in the league. He was an NBA ref for like 15 years. He worked in the WNBA. Now he's a consultant. He works with a number of teams. And, and the Wizards have him. And uh, Wagner works with Don Vaden a lot and, and Don Vaden's business partner, Shelly Russi, as well. And they go over a lot of stuff. Uh proper ways to take the charges, how to avoid, uh, you know, illegal screen setting, how to avoid sliding under someone versus taking the charge, all these different things, all the way down to approaching refs and all that stuff. And, and Wagner's a smart dude. Like he's, and he's very self-aware and he knows all of this. It's not like he's, it's not like he's not working on it. I, I get the feeling that he's going to get get it eventually i don't think he's ever going to be like a low foul player because that's just not his style I think, I think he'll get a little better at it but the yeah. fact is he's like he's still a step slow mm-hmm. right like totally. he's still going to be late most of the time right yeah so like you're basically relying on making a convincing impression that you weren't late to to, to swing the call right yeah so but- I, I think i think it's still going to be a challenge for him here's the thing if he's your backup big though like that's kind of okay because now you've got 20 minutes to use your six fouls on most nights, right? As yeah. opposed to having to string them out over 33. So if he projects yeah. up, if he projects to just being like your third big man, and he can come in and he can play whatever it is, 18 minutes a game at center, and maybe you play him next yeah. to another big for a couple I mean, look, of minutes a night, you're fine. Look, big picture, okay? The Lakers left him and Bonga on the Wizards' doorstep, rang the doorbell, and ran away. So anything they get out of these guys is gravy. 
Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, it was it was great. I still love talking to people around the league about Bonga, where it's like people are still so all over the place on him. You think he's gonna? Sh- you mentioned in the piece that you think he's he's gonna shoot. What what do you? He he's very low volume shooter now. He made a bunch of them. All of his threes were wide open. He's got a very slow release. What what do you see? Because I I have some people say they think, yeah, he's he's gonna be able to shoot. Like he's gonna shoot threes. And scouts who I respect are like, no, he'll he'll get the shot figured out. What do you see when you're looking at that and you're like that that guy has a chance to to really be a guy who can actually you can close out on on the perimeter. Well, I mean, even going back to when we were scouting him when he was playing in Germany and was and was coming out for the draft, I mean, he we always felt like he could shoot when he was just at a standstill. He's always been an awesome foul shooter. Um, and he, you know, maybe getting, you know, getting all those long arms and legs lined up when he's on the move is is going to be a little more challenging for him but at the very least he should be he should be a good standstill three-point shooter where if teams are going to leave him and he's open in the corner like that should be that should be a threat that should be like a knockdown and uh you know we'll we'll see if he can get to that point and see if he can get you you mentioned the low volume thing and i think that's probably the part that's going to be trickier is just not just can he make 40 percent or whatever but can he take enough of them that 40% really matters? Right, exactly. I mean, the the trick is just getting people to close out on you more than it is to actually make 40% of your shots, right? Like you, I, I'd almost rather have a guy, I'm sure there are numbers to measure this more than me just pulling out numbers out of my ass, but I'd rather have a guy who shoots 36% and gets people to close out than shoots 39% because he's wide open all the time and just lets their defender hang in the lane, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's this there's this odd thing in in the league where whether you actually make them is actually less important than whether the guy on the other team thinks you can make them. Mm-hmm. Because your impact on the spacing and on the help defense is so much more profound if your defender thinks you can make the shot, and it actually matters more than 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 the reality of whether you can make it. It's 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 very it's this very odd gray area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember must have been four years ago or something when Tom Haverstrow wrote about he was writing about second spectrum stats or maybe it was sport view at that time he was writing about sport view stats and the ones that aren't in the public that we don't know about one of them was gravity which is exactly what it sounds like and the guy who led the league in gravity that season on the three-point line just pulling defenders out to the three-point line was Dwayne Wade who has never had a really good three-point shooting season, but he's Dwayne Wade. So people close out on him because no one gets to get beat by Dwayne Wade. But Dwayne Wade, purely based on basketball skill set, has no business leading the league in gravity from the three-point line. Just absolutely none. So much of it is is reputation. So much of it is just like form. If you look good when you release it, guys want to close on you. There are so many guys who hit shots, but they have funky forms. and They're like, ah, I don't need to go out for that. You know? Like so much of it is just, is just that, and it, it's it's really a fascinating basketball principle. Like, cause it it doesn't actually have to do part of your value as a player doesn't actually have to do with you as a player. It has to do with how people react to you, which ultimately you can't really control. It's a very exactly. weird thing. Exactly. Yeah. 
Very strange. Uh, you wrote in the piece that Admiral Schofield might be too jacked for a basketball player. Can you think of any other basketball players who might be too jacked to be basketball players? Uh, basketball players who are too jacked to be basketball players. Um, there was a guy a couple of years ago. Uh, you, you know who's too jacked to be a basketball player but never played in the NBA? Uh, for those of you who watch the ACC at all, uh, Michael Ojo from Florida State, the big man. That guy, that was a guy who was too jacked to be a basketball player. I, w- um, I was going to go another uh, Florida college. I was going to say Patrick Young. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah. That guy yeah. was, oh my yeah. God, was that dude solid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, yeah. you remember, uh, you remember Paul Harris from Syracuse? Uh, just, a, just a little bit. Yeah. But he was kind of like that too. Oh yeah. So, um, so Paul was the small forward for Syracuse when I was a manager there. Uh, mm-hmm. crazy guy. See, he was always super nice to me, but just an absolutely wild human being. And uh, every time he played, I mean, he was just like, he was like a 6'4", small forward slash power forward. And his shoulders were just like insane. His arms were wild. His thighs were huge. It was just like his his entire torso was an upside down triangle. It was just wild. Yeah. How, how Like one of the most jacked people I've ever seen in my life. And... Uh, Every time he was on the air, some guy or they were playing national TV. Some some commentator would be like, you know, he should go play in the NFL because he was a good college player. He played in the G League and he played in the Philippines for a long time. Like he had a pro career, but he was never going to play in the NBA. And uh, you know, he was like twelve and eight in college. Good numbers for a college player. And uh, every time they talk about, you know, he should be a tight end in the NFL. Imagine him as a defensive end in the NFL. He should be one of those basketball players that goes to the NFL. And he would be so offended. I remember he hated Dick Vitale because Dick Vitale had this <laughs> three-minute thing totally innocently talking about how great of a football player he'd be and how he could easily make the NFL during a broadcast. And he hated Dick Vitale because he was so insulted by that. He's like, no, what about my basketball career? Uh, so I get it, but whenever they say things like that so and so should be a football player i think of paul harris being unbelievably insulted that everyone used to say that about him <laughs> the other guy i would think about is uh do you remember tony mitchell who was uh, with the pistons he was a second round pick yeah mizzou yeah uh north texas well started at mizzou transferred to north texas oh yeah there you go he was okay. the highest recruit in the history of mizzou and uh we're naming all my school you know i transferred from syracuse to missouri so that's how i know that but he was uh, he was the highest recruit in the history of Missouri, and then he transferred to North Texas. I think he was academically ineligible. Was what it was. I'm trying to remember the details. I think he was academically ineligible at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Mizzou gets big recruits, and then they leave. That's how that happens. <laughs> it's the Mizzou way. Or the or they uh, or they get injured and don't play any games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like Michael Porter Jr. comes, he leaves. And Jonte. Yeah. And Jonte. Oh, God. Jonte was so good as a freshman. He was, he was, oh, what a passer. That guy was so fun to watch. And mm-hmm. My, Michael Porter Jr. got all the hype because he was Michael Porter Jr., but Jonte was really good. Yeah. Paul, Paul Harris, you know, is the one, the one person to dunk on me in my life. Just slammed on me. 
while I was rebounding for Scoop Jardine while they were scrimmaging on the other end. He had an interception. Seth Partnow loves the story. It's like his favorite story. Mm-hmm. Paul Harris got an interception, came down flying away. This was literally my first day as a Syracuse manager my freshman uh-huh. year. And Scoop Jardine shoots it, goes through the net. And I'm like, oh, I got to go get the ball. I don't want Paul to trip. He's not going to do anything. It's just a scrimmage. There are no coaches there. And I run to get the ball as I'm picking up the ball instead of slowing down or getting out of the way or avoiding me or whatever, which he easily could have. There was no one chasing him. Paul speeds up, lowers his shoulder, absolutely levels me. Remember, this is like the biggest dude ever. Levels me. I went flying into the stanchion. I probably went flying three feet, but in my recollection, I went flying 15 feet. I went flying into the stanchion. I hit the back of the stanchion. I went down to the ground. Paul then, like Iverson, Tyron Lue, steps over me but stay, keeps his legs spread apart on top of me, looks down at me and screams, am one bitch, and then runs, <laughs> runs back up the other end of the court. Wow. And that's my one time being dunked on. That was how I met Paul. That was my first time meeting Paul. What a wow. moment. Wow. Huh. That never happened to me with the Grizzlies. <laughs> <laughs> what a moment. I, I love Paul for giving me that story. It's great. I love that. Uh, Before we go, Mm -hmm. I got to ask you. Okay. How proud are you for me only mentioning the Brooks trade at the beginning? Well, it seems like you're mentioning it at the end too there, Chief. (laughs) No, no, I'm not mentioning it at all. (laughs) That was, that was, that was the, probably the weirdest night of my reporting career. Well, it was. It might have been the weirdest. Well, actually, I, I take that back. It, it actually wasn't the weirdest night of my Grizzlies career. What was the weirdest? Oh, I can't go there. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. It was. Was it the weirdest one that you could acknowledge existed? It's the, it's the weirdest. The weirdest one I could acknowledge in public. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> That's all that matters cool thank thank you for coming on man anything you uh you want to plug before we uh before we sign off uh yeah you know at the, at the athletic i uh posted my uh five hot takes on the nba draft and uh uh you know have some uh some opinions on there where i've studied the tape on these guys and maybe go a little bit against against the prevailing current and you know the wizards will likely have a high pick at some point there so i think it's Worthwhile checking that out for that. And uh, obviously, I have my uh, my back and forth with uh, Fred Katz, where we talk about the Wizards. There we go. And yeah, check check that out. If you are not a subscriber to The Athletic, that's fine. We're doing this. I've talked about this before. We're doing this 90-day free trial, where if you just like, if you go to that story that John and I wrote, you find out, you know, I've, I've tweeted out the link a million times, I'm sure, by the time this podcast is posted you just go on my twitter you find that link you click on that link they're going to give you an option to subscribe you can sign up for a 90 day free trial and that's just not that story you get the 90 day free trial full access to the athletic you're going to get everything you're going to get all john's work and all of mine and all david aldridge's and michael lee's and everything else you know shams everything else we have at the athletic every sport you're going to get your baseball football whatever else you want to be able to read about and see so you can have that for three months for free. And if you don't like it, you don't have to keep it. That's the beauty of a free trial. So, so check it out. People who, who sign up for it, the reviews are very positive and, uh, I can endorse it. 
I believe it's it's at least worth it for free, which is the 90-day trial. So check that out. If you want to just have immediate savings up front, you can go to theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark, and you can sign up for The Athletic for 40% off on an annual subscription that comes out to $36 for the full year instead of $60 for the full year. And you can just sign up for that right off the bat. That way you get 40% off and you don't have to wait three months and then and then sign up for the annual subscription. You get the 40% off right there. And you're good at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. That always really helps. If you enjoy the show, please go on and leave a review. That that always really helps too. Go on, leave a review, and uh, and and yeah, give the five stars, leave the review. That's super nice. Uh, this was my podcast for this week. I will be back next week with another podcast with another guest. John, thanks so much for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this was uh, this was a pleasure as always. All right, I'll be back next week. I'll talk to you guys then. Bye.